Hello, all, and welcome to the Sci-Fi Fanatic. Sorry, <laughs> the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have me a very special guest, Jeffrey Haskell. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. My audience knows I'm coaching right now, so I can't talk to save my life, <laughs> especially this spring between um, all the jobs I've had. Um, but I'll try and do better with the rest of these questions. Uh, for that first question, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? It's it's been really awesome. I, uh, you know, like a lot of writers, and I've been on other podcasts. And, you know, they, they ask you questions. You know, like what made you a writer and things like that. But I like the writing journey aspect of it because it is a journey. It, it takes a long time to get anywhere, and uh, it you know, like all journeys, it's the journey that makes you. It's not the destination. Um, I feel like if I had become an overnight success, you know, when I first started writing, that that would have made me a weaker writer than I am now. So it's, it's been pretty cool. I'm um, spent 27 or 28 novels written and I'm about to publish 23. I've got a, um, uh, a brand new book coming out next month, uh, Military Sci-Fi, my very first for Athon Books. And I'm really excited about that. It's called Against All Odds, Grimm's War, book one. And uh, so, yeah, this, it's a culmination, right? So there's like, this whole journey I've been on. First, it was, I want to, you know, I want to make money as a writer. And then it was, I want to make a lot of money as a writer. And then it was, <laughs> no, no, I want to be a good writer. And it was, no, I want to be remembered. And, and now it's a combination of, I want people to love my books and I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life. And the only way to do that is to become a really great writer. So that's well, the journey. I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's very fair. Um, yeah, I did. Like I said before we started recording, I mentioned you. Um, I think it was my um, Seal Per Low episode um, that just went up uh, where I was talking about, you know, the um, episode of Lizzie Brokers podcast that I heard you on. I just I loved what you were saying on there. That one in particular, you were kind of talking about ghostwriting and, you know, doing a couple of things and then really trying to get in, on, you know, on a, your own brand for the Arsenal series. So, uh, yeah, it's been great to see, you know, go back and see, you know, how many books you've written, you know, in terms of Arsenal series and things like that. And uh, Wraith and you know those different things but it's cool it's to really hear cool military sci-fi yeah it's, well I mean I, I actually started wanting to write military sci-fi I, yeah I remember uh, you, you saying know, that yeah. yeah I'm a vet and and um, I grew up reading you know, military thrillers like Tom Clancy stuff like that plus Arnold Harrington and you know uh, Starship Troopers and oh, yeah. and I wanted to write military sci-fi my whole life um, I planned a bunch of worlds and done lots of world building and created fake technologies in my head and but when I sat down to start writing uh, for reels so to speak, uh, I realized I wasn't very good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I had to get better. And then uh, when I started making money ghostwriting, this one, my wife said, like, well, obviously the guy's making money, you know, why, why aren't you just doing this yourself? And so, yeah. that, so I wrote for Lindsay Broker. I, I wrote in her star justice, not star justice, um, star something universe. It's been a while. And, uh, and uh, I wrote like a, a three-part um novella three novellas uh in her universe back when kindle worlds was a thing and then i wrote for jay allen um and so i was just kind of writing all over the place and i really intended to jump into military sci-fi but the year i was thinking about getting in um was kind of a big deal in the author community because military sci-fi kind of exploded and you have people like chris fox and and yeah. michael Enderly all dominating the space and i was just like well i'm not no <laughs> so um, I love superheroes and I had already written two superhero books at that point, not published, but, um, I'd written them and, and I was like, you know what, 
I keep trying to find a superhero book to read and I can't because 99% of them um, aren't what I want out yeah. of a superhero novel. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to do superheroes. And then one day I'll be good enough. And, you know, and so in 2019, in November of 2019, um, I went to Athon Books and told them about this little sci-fi idea I had. And they asked me how quick I could write it. And I was like, oh, six months, easy, right? How hard could it be? That was November of 2019, you know? So here my happy little bottom is, finishing the last Arsenal book um, in January of 2020 and hearing some rumblings about something happening, you know? And so my six month project turned into two and a half years. Yep. So uh, all three books are done for my Mill Sci-Fi series, Scrim's War. Um, and Athan's published them starting April 19th and then, you know, uh, April, May, June, one after the other. And um, the covers are just unbelievable, mind-blowingly good. And they're done by Vivid Covers. And it's uh, full disclosure, Vivid Covers is run by my wife. Um, but I forgot she, also, she did covers. That's awesome. Yeah, she's done all my covers. That. That's yeah. awesome. My deal with Athon was is that I would only do it if, if um, she got to do the covers. And then she said, unless Tom Edwards could do the covers. <laughs> so, but they're like, no, no, we're happy to have her do it. And then they ended up just um, getting a lot of covers from her because she's just really, really darn good. And um, the, the um, so yeah, so COVID kind of, the whole COVID thing really, you know, screwed everybody up. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not nothing special there. So two books in two years, as opposed to six books a year for three years is what I was doing. And then a, a book last year and a, and a book this year, but that should all come around here. Things are getting back to normal. So yeah, three yeah. books, three books here this year and another three at the end of the year, probably. Um, and I'm working on the sixth Wraith novel right now called Circle of Fire. Oh, cool. Um, I like to tell people it's contractually obligated, but no, I love writing. <laughs> I love writing Wraith. Uh, Tantor Media signed a deal. I signed a deal with Tantor Media to do six books. So Okay. I have to do the sixth one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not that I wasn't going to do the sixth one, but, you know, I, I before I do anything else, I have to get that one done. Uh, and it's pretty cool. She's, uh, you know, Wraith's my vigilante. You know, where Arsene yeah, is yeah. my, my high-tech superhero. Wraith is my more down-the-dirt vigilante. Um, and uh, so I've had her fight a lot of different people, the Russian mafia, uh, the, the, you know, the South American gangs, human traffickers. You know, uh, she went up against... Uh, some East, Eastern European guys. And uh, so this time around, she's going up against the Yakuza. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they made them, they don't know who she is. And so yeah. they come into Louisiana looking to expand their operations and they get a rude awakening. Oh, that's it's kind of cool. I'm doing something a little different this time. Um, she's always been a one man band, so to speak. Uh, while she has friends who help her, she's never really formed connections on the street. And so I was trying to think about like what, what would happen to a city. If for three years there was a vigilante in there in that city, and if you committed this crime, she would find you and kill you. That crime would stop happening. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, it would stop happening. And so what's happened is, is what I decided was, is all the gangs in Louisiana have stopped human trafficking, just stopped it. You know, they don't want anything to do with it because they know <laughs> she'll come in and kill them all. And so it's kind of left her, um, well, hungry. <laughs> you know. Yeah little demon inside of her doesn't have anybody to kill and she refuses to go start killing you know crime street crime and stuff like that so 
um it's pretty cool so the gangs are actually trying to help her in this one fight the yakuza because oh, the yakuza cool. if you if you um if you look at the history of their organization they're actually a semi-legit organization in japan yeah, yeah. i was just talking um, about that that's funny yeah and um hey julia can you let the dog out and uh so the uh it's so funny is like they had like when their tsunami hit they were they mobilized before the government did providing yeah. places to live and water and stuff like that and I do my research, you know, I've never been to Japan and I don't claim any Japanese heritage, but I, I do my research. And, um, but what they're, they're actually made up of people who are not Japanese for the most part. Um, their current Oiban is a uh, South Korean. Oh, okay. And um, it, I think, I think Yakuza is Japanese for outsider. I think. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's hard to get an accurate translation on anything coming that's out fair. of the East because um but a lot of people don't like their language being translated into English. And um, plus also there's a lot of nuance in the, in their language. I don't pretend to be an expert. I just, you know, have done some research. And uh, so what they'll do is they'll move into an area and they'll cannibalize all the other criminal organizations, absorb them into the Yakuza. And if you don't go in, they kill you. Um, so v- uh, there's a Vietnamese gang in the, in the real world called this uh, called the snake. And it's, you know, their version of the Yakuza and um, they're fiercely independent and um, Japanese Yakuza hates the Vietnamese people, hmm. hates them. And so that's who's helping her in this book is the oh, Vietnamese cool. gang. Um, and so it's like, she's in this conundrum of like, well, I want to kill all these people, but there's worse people to kill. And, you know, so yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. It's fun. It's just interesting and fun. Um, it's slow going. Because uh, after 350,000 words in third person with multiple POVs over, spanning over five years and huge epic, epic military sci-fi, all of a sudden back in Madison's head. And so I watched John Wick and I watched oh, Peppermint God. and I watched Equalizer. You know, I watched all these movies to get into get my head into that game. I watched a couple episodes of Punisher, you know, just to kind of get back into that, you know, yeah. kill or be killed kind of mentality because my... Actually, my hero from Grimm's War is this very thoughtful, soft-spoken um, chips commander who is not a man, of, a man of action, so to speak. You know what I mean? He's, he's, a, he's a tactician. He's a strategist. You know, the first time he's in a gunfight on the, you know, in, the, in the real world, he uh, trips and falls and breaks his nose. You know what I mean? He, he yeah. is not Captain Kirk in the sense of he can do everything, you yeah. know, but he can command the hell out of a ship. You know, so it's Marines are for the fighting. That's what the Marines are for. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so so going from him to her is like, uh, it's, it's 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 really hard. It's like going back and forth between Amelia and and um, Madison. You know, Arsenal and Wraith was almost easier than this um, because they're both first person. Yeah. But the, the, once you write third person, it's just really hard to get yourself back in that mindset of first person for me. Oh no, totally. Back in the mindset for first person. Anything yeah. I say, by the way, in case. Who's wondering anything I say applies to me and me alone. I'm not like saying this is how it is for everybody. So I have to use that disclaimer because first comment will be like, well, I find it really easy to switch from third person to first person. I would, I would love if anybody does find that very easy to, to let me know, like email me or, you know, let me know in the comments because I personally, I've, I've tried it and I'm starting to find that like, I feel like I'm not a very good third person um you know like writer and i just don't think that's my pov so as soon as i was like oh i think i'm gonna try you know first person uh some of my writing friends were like no don't do it 
And I'm like, I don't know. I said, it just seems like, you know, it flows better. It sounds better. I said, I think I'm going to go, you know, just kind of do third person as an outline and kind of go from there. But yeah, it's, it's hard to switch back and forth. Yeah. And it depends on the genre too. You yeah. know, certain genres require certain things. Uh, military sci-fi is kind of neat in that you can do both. Um, I famously Starship Troopers is first person. Um, sorry, my mouse a little dry. <laughs> famously Starship Troopers is first person. Um, say that fast five times. And uh, but you know I'm going more for a uh, Sea Wolf. You know I don't know oh, if you remember cool. that old TV show Sea Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, uh, down periscope kind of thing. You know in space. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you know you know the ship is important. The ship is a character. Everybody, you know the people, you know the crew on the ship, you know them by name. Um, the, the the setting is the ship. I mean, it's not space. It's not these other planets or, you know, this conflict. The setting is the ship. So the setting, the ship is as important as the Enterprises in Star Trek, you know. Yeah. Which, if you ask me, every time uh, a, a, a Star Trek TV show goes wrong, it's because it's not about the Enterprise. But, uh, the, um, um, so yeah, so third per- the, the biggest difference for me for third person is, is one, there's actually a lot of first person elements in third person because you can do, you know, third person close, which is on what almost everybody does who does yeah. third person. Nobody does the omniscient anymore, which is the, <laughs> the omniscient narrator narrator. But I kind of switch back and forth a little bit. I usually open my paragraphs omniscient, hmm. open not my paragraphs, open my chapters omniscient. Okay. Because it's like, if I stay third person close, then you would never know what the other ships are doing or, hmm. you know, you fire a weapon and he watches the blip on the screen, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. I jump into the weapon and you know, you get to, you get to, you get to experience that. Um, and, but there's also this thing called, Oh, my wife knows the name of the technique, but it's when you um, it's when your, your POV dips so close to the character for a moment, the narrative and the character's thoughts are the same. Oh. It's not the highlighting the character's thoughts in italics. It's not that. Yeah. It's that the narrative and the thoughts become the same. And if you're very careful with how you present your POV and how you present uh, your world and you're clear when you are in that space, then nobody has a problem with it. Like I have, I'll have like um, uh, chapters where um, for one paragraph in the chapter, it switches to somebody else's POV. Um, and you, you'll get people like, oh, that's head hopping. It's not, that's not what head hopping is. Um, but it's very clear that that POV has shifted. And for that moment, you needed that reaction from that character to make you feel a certain way. So what you'll probably find is you're writing and you may not, you may be perfectly happy with first person for the rest of your life. And this is not a knock against first person because I have like 15 books in first person. I love writing first person. (laughs) So I like, I do both. Um, it's easier. It just, it just is, it's easier because what you're saying and doing is, is, is presenting yourself in a book. Um, and sure, Amelia is not me, obviously she's you know smarter and prettier than I am. <laughs> and um, same thing with Madison. Uh, but there are aspects of me, like I can, I was in the military, you know, I've watched all these, you know, movies. I've read all these Mac Bowen books back when I was a kid. And yeah. um, so I can be like, okay, I can put my mind in that place of of madison of that killer right and i can write her as if it was me same thing with amelia but when you're doing third person you have to be much more thoughtful about your about your narrative and what you're writing and about how the every sentence you know is 
telling you something about that character or the story. Um, and the biggest reason to do third person is to do different POVs, you know, uh, and I, you might find once you once you've written enough that you're starting to want to tell the story from a different angle. You know, even if it's just for a minute, and I do that with the Wraith books. Um, I don't know how far in the series you've gotten, but um, I started doing that with the Wraith books, where I would like there are chapters that are first person, that's Madison, and third person one is the bad guys, because it became important that the reader got to see under the hood of the bad guys. Yeah, and um, it's kind of difficult to go back to just first person with no other POVs at all. Uh, because there's so much information that you can put out there when you're doing third person. So that's, that's my, my big thing. I'm, I'm hopefully planning on doing three more superhero novels in the superhero universe. Oh, cool. In the Amelia verse with Amelia, like a whole new series. Oh, that's cool. Most likely in third person. Oh, okay. Cause I want to, I want to explore that idea and see how it works. Yeah. Um, I really love Amelia's my first love, so to speak. And, you know, um, she's a great character and, uh, I learned a lot writing her. I learned so much writing her and so much writing Wraith. Um, I think with Wraith, the thing that I nailed the most was how to open a book. And, uh, and uh, I'm that for, I will ever, forever be thankful for my Wraith novels for that because uh, every time I write a book, I kind of pick something and I'm like, okay, what am I going to master this time? You know, give me one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dog is whining. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I try to I try to pick something that I know I'm not good at and, and try to make it better. So with Wraith, it was I wanted the openers to be just I wanted them to pull you in and just get you. And I got this friend, CC Keke, who writes uh, Pantheon Saga, a superhero oh, novel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's really Charles is awesome, dude. Awesome, dude. I just got the um, first two, I think. Um, I think I got the first two or first three uh, on my Kindle. I'm like, I have those three and then um your first three and i think i have the wraith the first wraith book which i'm excited about um i think it was like the other day i had like a gift card and i was like yes please <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think he popped up with one of my other friends so i just was like yeah it was there's some sort of deal going on so i was like yeah you, why not <laughs> yeah and if you ever want to have him on the show he's 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 a fantastic speaker I oh, mean, he's, like, he's like me he's an extrovert and he loves talking especially about superheroes he's the only guy i've met who knows more about comic book superheroes than i do oh wow um and, uh, and, uh, so yeah, so we and him got together, we started talking about like the different superhero stuff. And he told me it's rare when authors read your work, right? It's, it's kind of rare when other authors read your work, cause we're all busy. We're working authors. Yeah. I try to take recations, you know, uh, between books. Idea. Um, so I can, and try to read outside my genre so that I can get, uh, some perspective. You know, the last thing you want to do is just, is keep like, you know, drilling down to the point where you only have one kind of idea. Yeah. You need to broaden. You need to constantly be forcing yourself to broaden your horizons. Otherwise, you just become derivative of yourself. My, my, one of my biggest fears is I'm going to write a book and someone's going to be like, well, this is just like book six in this series <laughs> you wrote, you know? And I've seen reviews like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't want to do that. Anyway, so, uh, and he told me, we met at a con. And he told me he was writing a superhero novel and he asked if I could read it for him and tell me what he thought. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. At the time, I was probably the best-selling superhero author at the time. And that's 2000 and I want to say 18, 2018, 2019. I read it. I really liked it. I told them two things. I said, I, well, one, we had a very similar life despite our outward appearances differences. <laughs> he's, he's, he's African-American and I'm not, but we had very similar life experiences because his characters were all re instantly recognizable to me. And uh, so, and two, I told them, I was like, it's too much swearing for me. 
but I think you have, you'll have an audience, you know? Um, and he's like, you know what? I think I'll tone down the swearing. So he did still a lot of swearing, but it's not nearly <laughs> as much as there was. Um, I kind of shoot for more of the, um, I don't want to say YA audience because it's not, it doesn't really fit YA, but all ages, all no, ages I, I is a better. That. Yeah. It's a better description um, because there's, you know, violence and there's death and there's consequences and, you know, things happen and there are ideas that are beyond what teenagers can generally you know, conceptualize. Um, but I like the all ages. So I try to minimize swearing in my books and there's no yeah. sex and, and stuff like that. And, and, and that also, oh my God. Like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's also in line with my religious beliefs too. So that, mm. so it's, it's, you know, it works out. I, I don't have to feel bad about writing the books that I write. I yeah, know some yeah. people who are, who write those books you know, and they have to use a pen name and everything because they don't want anybody to know that they've written them. And I'm like, well, if you don't yes. want people to know that you've written them, maybe you shouldn't be writing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was like the uh, the Dragonlance or the Forgotten Realms because I can. Well, my mom made a good point. I was talking about it today because I was like, a kid asked me, and I said, well, and the parent asked me, they're like, well, when you publish your book, is it going to be something my kid could be? I said, well, it's going to be a lot more chill than The Walking Dead. I got to tell you that, you know. And my mom was like, well, it's kind of like Blue Bloods, and I love that show and um there's there's really there's no sex there's really no swearing um like very little and it's just great actors great writing it's always a great story and i think they're on like season 14 and i can't i literally can't watch that show because i will watch an entire season and then watch another season i'll never get any writing done and i was like no that's what i want though you know in terms of books and i'm like i don't think you need certain things to you know to sell a book particularly if you're writing no, you don't. a good book or good characters so yeah, no, but I mean, you know, not that, not that any of that's just a shortcut. That's all, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, style and opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, you know, I do without, and, and it was I had to be very creative with my military sci-fi because, um, because of certain um expectations people have with military books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you may have heard that people in the military swear a lot. <laughs> I know many um, of them. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, so when I was in the army in the '90s, there was a um a rule came down that. Uh, we weren't allowed to swear in uniform. Oh, it and it, it didn't last for very long. It lasted like three years, I think. <laughs> um, officers weren't allowed to swear around non-coms. Non-coms weren't allowed to swear, swear around privates. Um, and then you could smoke or chew or drink in uniform. They're trying to clean up the image of the army from the yeah, 80s, yeah. you know. And that's sort of what I based it on in my books, you know. Oh, that's the, interesting. The, the Navy doesn't allow swearing in uniform, you know. And so that's kind of a running joke. Um, I think at one point he says, Damn. And it's like, you guys better not report me, but, awesome. but, um, yeah. And there's, I, you know, I, I, I tried to capture the wonder of space travel and the wonder of, of, of discovery. You know, I, we've become so rote and desensitized to things, uh, in movies and TV shows, uh, and in books, because many authors write books like, like as if they are movies and TV shows. Yeah. And so we've lost a lot of that, that feeling of, of discovery. Um, that is really important to uh, writing science fiction, in my opinion. But um, I, I have wandered off the topic a lot. Yeah, so much great stuff there. <laughs> I actually have quite a few notes, um, so I'm glad that you wandered. I always encouraging, I'm always encouraging wandering and meandering because I always get a lot of good stuff out of it. So you gave me a lot to think about. So I, 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 I love talking about writing and talking about craft. I mean, I would. Uh, my wife and I have been trying to figure out how to do a podcast about craft uh indies don't like to talk about craft and it's like bruno they don't talk about it and uh 
And so uh, they love talking about business and, and I don't, the business side of it isn't interesting to me. It's the creation um, side of it. That's yeah, interesting yeah. to me. And once I figured out how to sell books without having to spend money on marketing, I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm tuning you guys out now. You can yeah. go keep spending your millions of dollars a year on marketing. And I'm just going to keep selling books because I don't need to make millions of dollars a year. You know, I need to make $80,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, um, and you can do that without marketing. Um, it's, is it easier? I don't know. It requires singular focus and, um, and precision and purpose. And yeah. you have to be, you have to be driven to do it. And, um, yeah. So, um, so I love craft and yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife and I are always talking about it because she's a writer too. And we're always breaking things down. Why did this story work? Why did that story work? How come this one didn't work? Um, we read craft books and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, I, that's one reason why I started this podcast. Cause I call it a journeyman's podcast. I said, if you want a, a basic, whatever, I'm like, this isn't for you. I'm like, this is for people like myself who have written several books and are trying to you know, finish them in an appropriate manner where people really enjoy them and then start the next, you know, the next book in that trilogy, something like that. I talk a little bit about advertising things here and there just to get some people interested, but it's really, it's really all about craft for me. And yeah, sales are great, but at the same time, I think if you are, you know, you're really perfecting your craft and you're doing a good job at that, the sales come in my opinion, like that, that's eventually. what I talk a lot. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. You know, I mean, so. everybody wants to be an overnight success. Yeah. Uh, my, I have a friend, Rick Partlow, who writes military sci-fi, and he wrote this book series called Drop Trooper. Huge success. Started two years ago. Huge success. I really liked it. Um, and he uh, he was an overnight success. Twelve years in the making. He'd been writing and publishing books since 2010. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's just like everybody wants to be an overnight success. But being an overnight success doesn't get you anywhere. It gets you some money. Yeah. But I can't think of a single overnight success in the last 10 years that is still around writing books and publishing books. Because yeah. what happens when you're successful is, is that you tend to freeze your learning process. Yeah, yeah. Because you were successful for a reason, right? I mean, look mm -hmm. at Stephen King's books, right? Best-selling author in the world. His books from the 1970s and his books now are virtually craft identical. Yeah. You know, um, because, you know, you made 10,000, you sold 10,000 books in one day. Obviously, you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. you know why would you change and so i've i've tried really hard to not fall into that trap to be constantly evolving constantly learning and one thing one of the things that i really learned that really really helps you um if you want you want a reader to be really invested in your book to be really invested in your story yeah. um, and sometimes you have to do this uh post your first draft but is you concoct a theme by which everybody has an arc that follows that theme and so I'm going to use um, Moana as an example. Have you seen that movie? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, right. So I'm going to use Moana as an example. Uh, there's a song in Moana about who I am, who I am, you know. Yeah, you yeah. Know, she's the chief, the daughter of the chief. So Moana's theme is, who am I? Maui's theme is, who am I? Tefiti's hmm. theme is, who am I? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, even the crab's theme is, who <laughs> am I? You know what I mean? Uh, so they wove the theme into every single character in that movie. And so when you get the end, you get that punch at the end, that emotional punch at the end is amazing. And I know it's a kid's movie, but oftentimes you can see themes in kids' movies a lot easier than you can in adult movies because oh. they're not trying to hide it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not trying to be clever with their craft or anything like that. So you get that theme. And, you know, for me, for my first Against All Odds books, it's, it's a 
duty in the face of, of danger. You know what I mean? Like doing your duty no matter what. Oh, that's cool. And then in the second one, which is called um, With Grim Resolve. Uh, that's it, a cool the, title. The, uh, well, the last, the characters, the main character's name is Jacob Grimm. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, the, uh, Jacob T. Grimm. And, uh, so in the second one, the duty, the, the, the theme is leave no one behind. Mm. Right. And so, uh, so in the bad guys in the second one are, they have a counter theme, right? So you got this theme of leave no one behind, right? That, you know, cause I'm trying to, I'm not trying to build this dark, no pun intended, grim universe. I'm trying to build one of my friends who was in the military read the book and he's like, all oh, he's like, that was the kind of officer I wanted to be when I was in. Mm. That was the kind of unit I wanted to serve with. That's yeah. what I'm going for. I'm going for aspirational. I'm going for hopeful, right? Yeah. I, I, you want to read about how awful evil soldiers and sailors are. There are plenty of books to do that. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't shy away from the horrors of war, but I try to show the best in everybody. Uh, except for the bad guys, of course, because yeah. then it would be the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so there, the, the bad guys theme is people are expendable. Um, and so there's a counter theme, right? So you really see the difference. You got this one theme going this way and this one theme going that way. And as you, as the two are compared, you see the difference in how they behave yeah. based on their theme. And, you know, and then you have like you know, your personal motivations and you have, you know, everything that every character should have, but the theme is sort of like ties it all together. And, you know, and I'm sure you've heard about theme before and people talk about theme all the time. Uh, but right, being an author is a lot like playing D&D. You get levels, right? Yeah. And when you're level eight, you don't know what it's like to be level 20. And, you know, every once in a while, I don't know if you've experienced this, that I'll be writing and I'll be trying to figure out how to do something and it'll just. Oh, yeah. And I'll be like, oh, hey, I might as well be playing World of Warcraft and heard that little ding <laughs> sound, you know, I just leveled up. I figured out how to do this. And then you go back and you read your first stuff and you're like, oh, man, yep. <laughs> you know. So the, the, the theme really like a strong, a good, strong theme, and it has to be, it has to be simple, right? A theme, a complex theme. It's, it's why a lot of movies and books fail because they're trying to like, you know, weave some complicated theme yeah. that isn't universal that nobody can really identify with except for the person who wrote it. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, courage above all else is a theme. You know what I mean? Uh, don't abandon your friends. That's a theme. Um, not shopping on Sundays because your aunt doesn't like it is not a theme. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you have to be able to articulate it in one sentence and it has to have an emotional punch. Um, that in the third book that the theme is people are more important than profits. Mm. And, um, you know, boom. And that guides everything in the book. Yeah. So you nail that theme and you nail the, in my opinion, if you, if you're good enough to write a story, like a, a coherent story with you know, beginning and middle and end with journey, when, you know, trials and tribulations and, you know, surprises and turning points, things like that. If you can do all the form stuff, right. Yeah. And then you add that theme, you go from good to great. And that's when the magic happens, or at least this is what I hope we'll find out in a month. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be hoping with you. It's yeah. funny that you, it's funny that you my that. bomb. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny that you brought up theme because, um, and you said a couple things there that I totally agree with. Like, so I have this um, zombies versus the Ninth Roman Legion, and that's why they end up being lost to history. Okay, so, give me the book. I'm sold. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but my thing, so the hardest, it's just funny that you said this, and you're like, you know, it's like serendipity. So 
it just keeps happening to me interview after interview lately. I don't know if it's like like minds or what, you know, I understand like people always think and talk about crap, but it's creepy almost with how many people have mentioned what I just had happen this week. And I was looking at my outline and I was like, you know what? I said, I'm trying to do too much with theme with the first draft because I really, I want exactly what you just said. Like I want people such as yourself, you know, who are veterans to be like, and I'm going to give it to somebody and have some people help me who are veterans and, you know, I've uh, experienced those things. And I want there to be a key like D&D group of Roman soldiers who are just trying to help each other survive this crazy scenario. And it's like, but I was like, well, the, the real thing is I want you to care. I want you to care about them because they care about each other. But I realized that I was putting too much of the relationships in before getting the rest of the story done. And I was like, well, I got to get this done so that then I can put those things in to make you know, to really, you know, kind of fluff up the theme. It's not fluff, but strengthen it more. And I was like, I'm just doing too much at once. So it was an interesting craft moment because I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I just need to do this. And then once I, you know, get the first draft done, I was like, I can then go through and make sure that that theme is, you know, more present without and make sure that people actually care about these characters and not like, oh, fine, whatever. But, you know, yeah, a lot of times good. it only takes one or two sentences to strengthen the theme. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like when I was, when I figured this out, what I'm telling you about was when I was on like a fourth draft of against the odds. And I was okay. just like, there was something missing. You know what I mean? Like the story was there. The characters were there. Um, I knew the characters were likable. Uh, I, and I knew people would sympathize with them because everybody can sympathize with people down on their luck. You know, mm. it's one of those universal sufferings that everybody goes through. That's another thing too, is, is like, if you want to appeal to a, an audience that is big enough for you to make money off of your books, you, you can't appeal to niche ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, you got to appeal to, to broad universal ideas that everybody on the planet can, can uh, attune with, you know, um, being treated unfairly at work, you know, who hasn't right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, not being believed because you're a kid, you know, uh, there's a million of them. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was working on the first draft, I had everything there. The story was there. The characters were there, but it was missing heart, right? It was missing its, it was missing its theme. And so when I discussed it with my wife, who has all my great ideas, uh, I realized what it was. And I have a character who is, you know, mistreated at work, basically. He's blamed for something he didn't do. And then he's basically forced out of the Navy almost. And then he's given one last chance to you know, to turn things around. And the question that was haunting me was why? Why does he want to turn things around? Yeah. Why does he want to stay in the Navy? Because he likes being in a sailor, spacer, as I call them. That's not good enough reason, right? It's just not good enough reason. You got superpowers. Why are you a superhero? Because I have superpowers? No, you got to have a reason, right? And so I came up with a really great reason. And it was his mother was a war hero in the last war and she died, gotten this, you know, big medal. And he was worried that every time someone looked up their family, it would just be this big black mark next to his name. Mm. And it wouldn't be, she wouldn't get the remembrance and the respect that she deserved. Yeah. And so he couldn't go out like that. Yeah. And, all of, and you know how I changed that? I put in two lines, 100,000 word novel, two lines. And all of a sudden the entire book is about him trying to clear his name and, and uh, uh, you know, remove the stain of honor from his mother's name. You know what I mean? And like my editor was like, what did you, did you rewrite the whole book or something? I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, so um, yeah, but you're right. What you said about um, you, you got to have people care about the characters before you show the relationships. You're 100% right. 
I like that theme though of legacy. I feel like, I don't know if it's cause you know, like community or I came from, but I, you know, we always like, I'm a Midwesterner, I'm from Michigan and like where I went to school and stuff like our community, like we, we talk, like that's all was hammered into us was legacy. And, you know, that's how I've lived my entire adult life. I'm like, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach. And, you know, I conduct myself in a manner inside and outside of my job where, you know, I feel like students and my community could look to and be like, yeah, there's a, somebody who, you know, who understands legacy, you know, and understands, you know, like how somebody should conduct themselves in these positions. And, you know, I've had people my entire life who have been like that for me, you know, who I could look, look up to and know and know that they would not let me down. And so I like that. I like that. Just the theme of legacy, legacy is a great theme. Yeah. You know? it's awesome. Yeah. And uh, the one of the best ways to get people to care about um, a character, um, in my opinion, is to give them something they really care about, the character cares about, and then take it away from them. Mm. And so, uh, so um, have you have you read book one of the Wraith, or have you just read the blurb? I just read the I read all okay. your blurbs. <laughs> okay, I added them all um, to Goodreads. I, I I actually like to talk to people first, um, as particularly about craft, and then I like to go through and use it as a book study. So. So yeah, read the first chapter of Wraith and um, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. I do it in there. You know, I, I give her something to talk, care about and then I take it away from them. And once you do that, people are on board with the character and then you got time to do all the other fancy stuff, of, you know, world building and character building yeah. and, and things like that. Uh, but the trick is, right, the real trick, um, like Han Solo said, is getting people to care about the character. You know, how yeah. do you start the page? And, you know, as authors, we like to throw around a lot of like craft words like in media res. Um, which means, you know, in the action, but action doesn't mean violence. Action means tension. Action means stakes. What are the stakes when you open your novel? Um, opening your novel with high stakes will bring the reader on board almost immediately. So um, if, and a lot of people do that with action, you know, like, oh, and he fell out of the car. Will he live? Will he not live? You know, or, or I've seen some people do it with conversation really well, but yet it has to be really well. You know, if, you, if you're going to do a conversation, you have to very quickly, someone has to realize that, that these two people having a conversation are about to kill each other. That would be one way to do it. And then they'd be waiting the whole conversation for the first person to make the move. And that would be automatic tension. Or, um, you know, you could do it in the aftermath of a battle, open a scene in the aftermath of a battle. And someone is desperately trying to save somebody else, you know, and we will be on board. I say we, the audience, will be on board with this character because we too want to save that person because um, it's a natural inclination to want to save someone's life. So there's lots of ways to start a book to make people care about characters. Um, and the more common ways you see are the ways you want to avoid um, because the more common they are, the more cliche they become. And, you know, cliche, cliche, cliche <laughs> can be both a good thing and a bad thing. Sometimes you want things to be cliche. Yeah. There's cliches for a reason, right? Um, and in for a penny, in for a pound, that's a cliche, but the cliche everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. You can use that for shorthand to mean that you're all in. Uh, and then there's bad cliches, right? So um, have you, are you a fan of Star Trek or, or oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Stargate and stuff like that? Okay. Oh, so yeah, yeah. All of the them. Worf <laughs> effect, right? The Worf effect. Mm. Worf's this BA Klingon on yep. the Enterprise. And every time they want to show somebody how tough somebody is, they have them beat a Worf. Yep, yep. Every Same time. thing with Teal'c, you know, um, and it's super annoying. Um, so that's, those are the kind of cliches you want to avoid. 
Um, but you know, obviously you always want to be coming from a place of knowledge when you're doing stuff. So, so yeah, so try to open a book in a way that's memorable, that builds tension immediately. It does not have to be violence. It just has to be action and action means tension. Got my mind whirling now. I actually never considered that. So, <laughs> well, I'm super stoked about the Legion versus zombies thing because uh, that sounds amazing. I, I you know, comes yeah, so I'm a history teacher and you know, oh. I, I love historical mysteries and I study military history. Like, you know, my, like, really, I don't know, pretty much since I could read. My grandfather, um, he was a World War II veteran, both of them, and I didn't get to meet the one. So the other one, like, we talked a lot and I spent like every weekend with them because my parents were working like 75, 85 hours a week with two jobs and stuff. And, you know, like we would watch war movies because that was his thing. We'd watch John Wayne movies. We'd watch, you know, he got me into science fiction fantasy. Yeah. You know, like uh, cop dramas, you know, like I I think he would take me, I'm very thankful for him because he would take me to a movie like every week. I mean, I went to see so many great Disney movies called a while or uh, was it not a while? Oh, I totally blank on what it's called. Um, but it was like there were like the two wolves or whatever. There was like two of them. Um, but yeah, it was it was super good. But yeah, there was just so many great. I think back and I'm like the '90s was great. You know, like '80s and '90s because we had so many great movies. Even kids' movies were like almost yeah. like young adult. You know, Three Ninjas was great. You know, and he took me in. It was always about a story though. Like everything him and I did was always about a story. And if it was a toy, maybe not. But if it was a book, like he would buy it for me or my grandma would, and then we'd read it together, you know, and particularly my parents went on long trips for their um, second like night job and stuff. Uh, you know, like that was a big thing for the weekends, you know, and to me, it's just like, he just, you know, helped raise me and so did my grandma and like, they were both big into reading and I was very lucky with that, but I just, you know, he was big into history and, you know, Roman history was one of the first things that I remember he, he was teaching me and, you know, I thought, how cool is, speaking of legacy, you know, I'm like, how cool would that be to, you know, to write this book about the Roman legion? And that was one of the first mysteries of history that I can remember ever hearing about. And the more I thought about it, I was like, why, why, like, why, why do we not know where they're from? There was a paper that came out two years ago that said that it was a clerical error, but then another paper came out last year, right after that, like, you know, once everything was open again, and they were like, no, we don't think that's true. And I just kept thinking about it. And I'm like, you're talking about, I don't think people really realize like how crazy it was. And like, you have the most skilled, like Navy SEAL, like Legion, like top two of all time of Rome. And then they almost get destroyed by Boudicca, like Queen Boudicca. And then they're still there, like almost like 40 years later. And you got to figure they're even more battle hardened because they have to deal with the Caledonians and all these other people. And all of a sudden they just disappear. And, you know, nobody's ever found anything, you know, of them, like nothing, no bodies, no weapons, no metal, like no anything, no, no emblems, shields, remnants, you know, nothing. And it just, it made me wonder. And I was like, well, the easiest thing I think would be zombies because zombies would just eat all their, you know, flesh and stuff. And, but yeah, I kind of want to turn them into like, you the, can't the have them lose. Oh, no, no, no. I want the survive. There's going to be survivors. I mean, spoiler. Um, you'll, you'll know that by the back of the book, but um but like not a lot like you got an entire legion there's a couple but like book two i kind of want them to try to travel back to rome and then get caught like um somewhere with i think like werewolves and then somewhere else i'd love them to get back to rome and then have to face vampires within the court uh and have to do like this political thriller thing and if people like the three i might keep going and make it a series but i just thought i you know i like the the males in book of the fallen um, I love Chronicles of the Black Company, you know, by Glenn Cook. And I love that 
you know, camaraderie. You know what I mean? I love that count. You know, yeah, the, the whole reason know. people read military books yeah. is that camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I'm a martial. We want to be a part of that unit. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. have people that you know I've literally like you know been on tournament teams with and stuff. You know, you would you know you would die for those people, and you know, like I get that, and I'm like I want other people to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a friend like that, and like you know, you know, another theme, friendship, but. Yeah, I just think it'd be really fun. And I, I love urban fantasy, but I love historical urban fantasy. So I just thought it sounds fun. But no, I, I you're, you're singing in the choir here, buddy. I love history. Um, I had a history professor who was urgently, desperately trying to make me a history teacher. Oh, that's um, but uh, I wanted to be a writer. More yeah, than I wanted yeah. to be a history teacher. But I love history. I read historical books all the time. I reference them in my writing. Oh, um, awesome. A great influence on these books is World War II. You know, oh, and cool. not just like, the way things happen, but the politics involve the geopolitical situation of, of the world. Um, you won't probably see that, but my idea was basically is what if world, what if the U.S. and the Allies lost World War One? How would that set up the world for World War Two? You know what I mean? Because yeah. World War Two would still happen. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, the forces were kind of inevitable, yeah. and so, but it would just happen for different reasons. And so, yeah. So it's sort of how I set up the galaxy in that in this point. And um, so, I mean, I'm sure you be a historian, if you read it, you'll be like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing here. This, this is based on this thing that happened. Yeah. And that. one of the things that always <laughs> bothers me about historians is they're always trying to, they're always trying to disprove the, the, the amazing, mm. you know? Oh yeah, I get that. Um, you know, uh, Horatius on the bridge didn't happen, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. And I always say this, well, there was a guy who landed a plane on the Potomac a couple of years ago. <laughs> And nobody died. And that shouldn't have happened. It yeah. should be impossible. Nobody else was able to do that. So if that could happen, then anything can happen. And, yeah. you know, Audie Murphy said in his uh, biography that um, when he was filming The Hell and Back, uh, which was his, which is his, um, uh, his drama, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, The Hell and Back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah story about him in World War II. Uh, he said that the network wouldn't let him put in the most crazy, the, some of the things that he did because they did said it was too unbelievable. <laughs> so there were things that happened in the war that were more unbelievable, unbelievable than him standing on a burning tank, shooting a 50 cal, calling down artillery on his own head. That's crazy. There were more unbelievable things than that. Yeah, or yeah. him clearing a building by himself or charging a machine gun nest. So I like to look at history and I like to look at events that happened and sort of like, Okay, what was this crazy thing happened? Okay, what would happen if that happened in space? How what would that look like? Oh, that's cool. You know, and that way everything has that um, verisimilitude, you know, that that feeling of authenticity while you're reading it. Um, I make up very little. Uh, I just scavenge and borrow from 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 just about everybody. And of course, you can only do that if you read a lot. Um, yeah. Watching movies is great, and TV shows are great, but they lack depth. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're not good inspiration for novels. Um, if you're trying to write a movie, you write a screenplay. Don't write yeah. a book. Yeah. You know, um, you you want your inspiration to be things that you've read, primarily. Um, also, movies are a visual medium, so it's really hard. One of the things about superheroes I always get asked is, like, well, comics are a visual medium. How do you, you know, how do you do that in the books? And I'm like, well, I don't because it's not a visual medium. Um, I don't linger on their costumes a whole lot because, yeah. you know, what's the point? Um, but the, uh, the the best the, you know the best inspiration you can get can come from the written written language as far as I'm concerned, and you'll be a better writer for it. You know, obviously yeah. you've read a ton, so 
I'm really looking forward to your, uh, you've read, sounds like you've read and watched almost everything I've read and watched. So just about, well, it's it funny because I said to my wife, cause we have dinner here in a little bit. And then she was like, I know you really want to interview Jeffrey. I'm like, I do. Cause I thought it was so funny where, um, when I heard you on, um, the, the, like Lindsay Broker, Jeffrey, uh, pools and them's, uh, and Joe's podcast, you said something that my wife says to me all the time. where like, your wife was like, okay, like people only want to hear about your book for about 20 minutes at this party. And then you got to move on. And I was like, this is the guy that I want to interview. Cause I'm like, that's me in a nutshell. Like tonight yep. she's going to, she's literally going to be like, I'm timing you, you know, you can be like five minutes. Cause that's all I want to talk about with anybody. And you know, it's hard to, that's why I do podcasts. That's a good sign. That's yeah. Good it's, sign. it's hard to find people in this town. Like I'm in a, you know, in a college town, but you know, the, you know, there's this, unfortunately with the pandemic, there hasn't been a lot of great opportunities. I tried starting up a writing club and uh, society and a couple other things and there were no takers before the pandemic and it's been really hard to meet people so yeah the problem i find with that sort of interaction is is that you need to find people who are on the same level of commitment and scale yep. that you are i mean yep. the skill can be you know this or this but the level of commitment yeah. you know, i think that, i think you're right success is perseverance yeah, right yeah. if you don't quit you will succeed yeah and if you get around people who are not as committed as you are they just bring you down yeah you know or they want to tear you or, or they want to tear you down yeah you know, it's worse that's why i like to so, sometimes like i like to lone wolf it now because like that's i'm like there's nobody it's a in lonely person. business yeah, yeah like there's nobody in person business. i can talk to yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah my wife will always say like i'll be like i'll be like we'll, we'll be in a room together and we'll be completely silent and i'm like so becky and she's like is this about your book <laughs> no <laughs> you know it's about this other book you know yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh so yeah no it's it, it's being excited about your work is is one of the primary things that you that you have to have if you're not excited about it then it's not going to show on the page and if it doesn't show yeah. on the page it won't the reader won't won't feel it yeah. so being excited is really important and um not burning out is also really important um, yeah, yeah. you know i writing six books a year for three years uh kind of burned me out i yeah, yeah. That's really rough yeah. and um and the money was good but uh, yeah, so I've slowed down considerably. And, cool. But also I've started putting a lot more depth into my novels yeah. than I did in my superhero stuff. So that takes more time. Yeah, yeah. And writing military sci-fi, there's a heck of a lot more research. Um, and also, you know, creating the, like I wanted to, sh- like I said, I really wanted the ship to be a character. So I had to draw up a schematic of the ship and know where everything is and, you know, yeah, how yeah, long yeah. it takes to move here and there and things like that. So. Yeah. But um, you should check it out. April 19th against all odds. I think you'll like it. I think it'll be oh, really yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm going to go I think check it out. My, I think you're my audience. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I was going to say, like, I know my wife's probably, like, texting me to go. Um, anytime, you know, you want to come and talk about craft or, you know, you, you hit me up on Facebook or any social media if you want to talk about your books. Uh, I would love to, you know, to hear different things. Yeah. But, you know, you Feel free to, to if you have any uh, questions or if you oh, sure. want to, you know, you've run into a particularly difficult story spot and you need some work to help you workshop it. Let me know. Oh yeah, that'd be uh, awesome. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. I always I always make that offer. Nobody ever takes me up on it. So oh, I'm definitely gonna take you up. On maybe it. you'll be the first. <laughs> Mark Mark Timoney, my friend Mark Timoney, him and I became friends like through social media and like this podcast. And I interviewed him a couple of times, and we sent each other quite a few things. And um, Scott Odin's another one. Like I sent oh Scott, Scott. I know Scott. Yeah, yeah, I love Scott. Like I'm a huge Conan fan. I, when I interviewed him, I was like bow down to the conan writer love like, conan I, yeah yeah and i just i couldn't believe that i was able to interview him richard lee byers was another one and i've hit him up a couple of times Everybody's you know, that's one of the great though. things about about this job so to speak is getting to meet other authors and i was yeah, at a con yeah. last november and i got to meet larry korea uh, oh, from Boston cool. international 
he is such a cool dude oh that my gosh cool. he is that. like he is like the kind of person you'd be like can we just go hang out man let's yeah. just go hang out I'll, I'll buy you a beer let's hang out you know he's cool. just so cool and then i got to be david weber which oh that's awesome really special um that is uh, and cool. then yeah just a whole bunch of people yeah it's it's, it's uh, i'm an extrovert so uh, my wife always says that i'm a i'm the one-eyed man in the land of the blind you know <laughs> it is hard like, it is really hard yeah i need to i need to talk to people i need friends yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> and I, the I pandemic agree. really hurt me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. You guys, uh, your people can find me at jeffreyhaskell.com, or if you go to amazon.com, you can look up me by name, Jeffrey H. Haskell, E R Y, uh, or my books, Arsenal of the Full Metal Superhero, Wraith Superhero by Night, or Against All Odds, Book One of the Grimm's War. It's coming uh, out April 19th. Oh, sorry. So, April 19th. Uh, so, of course, my audience knows you can find all of Jeffrey's links in the description for every single place that this is. We have the RSS.com, which will be fixed before this episode comes out. So you can find uh, this there on Spotify, YouTube. Uh, you can go to our website, um, which is connected to everything, um, find this episode and, there. So, And for people who like audiobooks, all my books are audiobooks. So you oh, can get them anywhere audiobooks are sold. Oh, that's awesome. That's super good to know. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much. I've, I'm, I was telling my wife, I was like, it's going to be a really good pleasure. So I was really, really thankful that you responded, you know, on your, you know, your like page and everything. On Facebook. Sorry, I was late. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm a teacher. I, like I said, it's, it's nice. I got to do some work and I was kind of thinking of a problem I was having in my book. So I kind of got that going a little bit. So it's always nice just to get to talk to somebody, you know, about craft for a few. So like I said, anytime you want to come back or you're like, ah, I really want to talk about this and nobody wants to listen. Uh, you know, you just hit me up and, you know, I'll have you on any time and I'd be more than happy to listen. So I got a lot of notes. This is probably the most I've ever had on an interview. So I'm really excited to come back after tomorrow and come back, look at them again and kind of start some research and look at some things. I always listen to these again myself. So and watch them and that way I can pick out some different things. So, but it's been more than helpful. So I really appreciate your time, Jeffrey. I hope you and your family have a lovely weekend and I hope to talk to you soon on social media, my friend. Thank you, sir. You have a great night. You too. Later.